Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, allowing me to come and, and be part of your, um, your service. I, I, I very um, seldom ever get nervous, but I do get nervous when people introduce me. That's the most awkward thing in the world. When someone um, shares some things on you, let me, let me reintroduce myself. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. There's, there's, there's nothing special about me, and the truth of the matter is there's not nothing special about you. My only contribution to salvation was this. I got lost. That, that's, that's it. Um, about 26 years ago, um, my mentor, Bob Russell, um, I called him. I was about to um, preach my first Sunday morning message. So I called him up and I said, Bob, I'm about to preach on a Sunday morning and I want to know how long I should preach. And he said, um, Chris, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to grade yourself on what kind of speaker you think you are. One is a poor and 10 is excellent. And I could tell he wanted me to grade myself right then. I said, okay, Bob, I'm ready. You got a, you got a score? Yes, sir, I do. He said, okay, subtract two because you're not as good as you think you are. And multiply that by five, and that's how many minutes that you have. So I'm about to, I'm about to close it out here in just a minute if we keep that, <laughs> that, that, that going. Um, there's a story of Johnny. Johnny was in the second grade, and the assignment was you can draw any picture that you want. So this second grader, Johnny, gets out this construction paper. He gets these crowns, and he starts drawing on this paper. Um, teacher makes her way around the classroom and she comes up to Johnny and she says, Johnny, what are you drawing a picture of? And Johnny says, I'm drawing a picture of God. The teacher looks down and says, Johnny, nobody knows what God looks like. A second grader looked up and said, oh, they will when I get done with this picture. <laughs> That's what I hope that we do tonight. I hope that we, whether I stand on this side of the word or you sit on this side of the word, the one thing that doesn't change is the word. And so what we're going to do here in just a moment is we're going to polish it off. And I can rest assured that each and every one of us, including myself, are going to be challenged with the word that we have tonight. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. God, I thank you for dying on the cross for a sinner like me. God, I pray for, as your word is, um, I have been tasked with the joy and the responsibility um, to bring your word. So, Father, I pray that you do only what you can do. Father, may your word go out. May it take um, root. And may it bear much fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He was given the, um, the title, the ugliest man to have ever lived. Think about that title for just a second. The ugliest man to have ever lived. John Merrick, um, his nickname was the Elephant Man. I think a picture is going to come up. Look at that. That's, that's John Merrick, the elephant man. To give you a little background on John Merrick, John Merrick, at the age of four, he was abandoned by his mother. Um, at the age of 14, a circus owner stumbled upon John Merrick, and basically what he said was, I am going to do something with your life. I am going to make you a sideshow attraction. People will come from all over the world to look at you. And that's exactly what this circus owner did. He took young John Merrick at the age of 14. He brought him into um, what was called the circus tent. And people would. They came from all over to take a peek at the elephant man. Some people would often run away. Some people would often um, scream, make all kinds of certain responses. Could you imagine having the title, The Ugliest Man to Have Ever Lived? By definition, you would, 
you would be given another title, the loneliest man to have ever lived. But see, hope would come years later. Hope would come years later in the, um, in the carnival line as, as Dr. Frederick Treves got into the line to see John Merrick. And as it was his time to approach John Merrick, he looked at John Merrick and Dr. Frederick Treves said this. He said, I want to spend some time with you. And John Merrick took him up on that offer. And he goes to the doctor's office, and what started out as a doctor-patient relationship grew to a vibrant personal friendship. And they grew with one another in friendship. That is the gospel. That is the gospel message that sin disforms us. Sin disfigures us. We all are John Merrick's. Amen? And man, we are all John Merrick's in some shape, form, or fashion. But God, that is one of the best phrases in all of the Bible. But God. But God embraces us in our ugliness, in our loneliness, loneliness, in our sin. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ loves us and died for us. That is the gospel. We're going to look at a text today that I'm, I'm, I'm sure at some point that you have heard. Okay? Um, I'm going to give you a little context on Luke chapter 5. Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. We're going to go to it here in just a minute. But let me give you a little background because context is everything when you're looking at the Bible. In, in Luke chapter 5, um, Jesus is making his way around, and everybody is hearing about this man named Jesus. Lives are being tra transformed. People are coming from all over to see him. In this certain story that we're going to look at in John chapter 5, Jesus, the, the, the crowd is pressing against Jesus. And he can only go back so far because the Sea of Galilee is right behind him. So the Bible says that, that Jesus actually gets into one of the boats and they kind of push it out just a little bit. And he's going to use the Sea of Galilee as a backdrop. Jesus looks over and he sees Peter and, and some of his, his friends that have just come in from fishing. And the Bible says that they are mending their nets. They're cleaning their nets. They're preparing them for the next night. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he, he gives a response. And here's what the response is. The response is, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter gives him just an incredible response, probably the same response you and I would have given. Here's what it was. It says, Jesus, we have fished all night, and we've caught nothing. Let me give you that translation of what that really means. Jesus... I'm the professional fisherman, you're the preacher, you stick to preaching and let me do the fishing. But Peter said this, but since you said, we will. And so the Bible says that, that they go out and they start to fish and Jesus says, throw your nets on this side and Peter listens. I, I'm sure he's getting a little frustrated with this and Jesus is telling him what to do, but he listens and he throws his net on the other side and the Bible says that they catch so many fish as they pull these in that their boat starts to sink. Peter's calling for his friends to come over. They have so much fish that they have caught, they, they're, they're starting to give it to their friends and guess what? Instead of um, talking about this fish tail, they actually 
land the catch. They pull it up onto the shore. And I'm sure everyone comes from all over and they're looking at all of these fish. Peter and his friends could have probably retired on that catch. I'm sure that they're taking fish up and they're looking, they're squatting down next to their, their fish and, and they're taking selfies and they're putting it on Instagram and they're doing all this stuff. And then Jesus looks at them and here's what he's going to say in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, and Jesus said to Simon, Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You'll be catching men. Now, let me tell you what that, that means. What, you're probably thinking, what does that mean to catch men? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like the John Merricks. It looks like the Chris Morgans. It looks like the Jim Howards, and it looks like the Dave Hastings, and it looks like us. Because in this text, basically what it's going to do in the next couple sections, it's going to talk about the kind of people that, that Jesus and that we as believers catch. It's going to be a leper. It's going to be a paralytic. And it's going to be a tax collector. Those are the people. And for time's sake, just for time's sake, um, we're going to look at one. You never run out of uh, material to preach. Never. You only run out of time. That, that's it. So for time's sake, we're going to look at, we're going to look at one. So here, here it is. Let's read, it. Let's read the text that we're going to cover, and then we'll go back and we'll kind of polish it off. And what we'll do, like my mentor said, is we'll run to the, the Bible like an apple tree, and we'll just shake it. And when a piece of fruit drops off, we'll just grab it, and we'll take a bite of it, and then we'll go back to the tree and we'll shake it. And a piece of fruit will drop off and we'll grab it, and then we'll go back to the tree and we'll shake it. That's how it's meant to be read. That's what it means to look at the Bible in its entirety and what it has to say. I don't have to be inspirational today. I don't have to be motivational today, but what I do want to do is I want to be clear. And I believe that if we do that, God is going to do what only he can do. Let's look at this text. In Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12, here's what it says. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Let me tell you a little bit about leprosy. Leprosy is one of those things that if you don't really kind of look at it and, and study it a little bit, you'll really just kind of read right by it, and, and you won't stop. But let me, as I, as I look at this and as we look at it tonight, here's what leprosy is. It's a, um, it's a disease that you die by inches, a slow, agonizing death. The first thing that, that happens is it, it affects your circulatory system where the blood flow in your fingers and your toes, it stops. And they just become degenerate and sometimes they'll just fall off or they're amputated. Another thing that happens is you have these pussy sores that cover your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. It's a terrible, frustrating, irritating thing. 
that's very obvious for all to see. Another thing that it does is it affects your senses. Your, eventually your sight will be gone, your hearing will be gone, your, your sense of taste, touch, everything, eventually your senses will be gone. It's thought to be very contagious. So what a person would do is if they got 50, 50 yards from another person, they had this bell that was around their neck. And they had to take this bell, and what they would do is they would ring it. And they would say, unclean, 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 unclean. And what people in the cities would do is people would pick up rocks, and they would take their rocks, and they would throw them at these people. And so they would literally push you out of the community. There's many, many things that would happen. The first, first of three, it, you would lose community. You would lose that, okay? You would lose it personally. If it was a husband, would lose his wife or his children. Another thing that you would do is you would lose um, social. You're socially, you would be done. Whether that's a friend, whether that's a neighbor, whether that's a cousin, whatever it may be, you would lose your social people. You would lose that personal, social. And the third thing that you would lose would be um, you would lose religiously. You would not go into the, the temple because you would consider to be an unclean. You see, that there's, there's similarities with that. Leprosy, many times throughout the Old Testament, um, they compared that with sin. That sin would disfigure you. That sin will isolate us. That slowly what sin does, if it goes unchecked, that it would, it would disconnect us. Personally, it would disconnect us socially. And it would disconnect us religiously. It would disconnect us from the community that we so desperately desire to be with. The thing that I've realized about sin is sin always overpromises and it under delivers. I'm not, a, um, I'm not a big fisherman, okay, but I, I brought this with me, okay? And sin is kind of like this. Let's say that me and, me and your pastor that I love a whole lot, um, let's just say that Dave and I, we want to go fishing, okay? And we're going out somewhere to some fishing hole, and Dave's on the other end or on the other side of the pond, and I'm, I'm on the side. And, and basically what I'll do is I'll just cast out, and I'm, I'm not catching anything. But I look across the pond, and Dave is just reeling them in now. He's doing something incredible. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to look over, and I'm going to say, hey, Brother Dave, what are they hitting on? And he's going to tell me what kind of lure he is using. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to this right here, and I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to see if I've got the same kind of bait that he's got. And sin is the same way. He just makes his way. He just casts it out, and he just waits. And he says, what is Tommy hitting on here? Because I tell you what, a fish sees the bait, but he never sees the hook. If he saw the hook, he would stay away from it. And that is what sin does. Sin will get us, and it will grab us, and it will squeeze us and pull us tight. Sin will disfigure us. It will do a lot of things. Let's look, go back to verse 12. Now here's where we're going to just kind of polish it off. 
It says, while he, Jesus, was in one of the cities. Now, I'm not a smart guy, okay? I took that ACT about six times, if you understand where I'm going with that, okay? But I know that cities have a lot of people. Now, um, he, not, I'm sorry, it's not Jesus. While he, the man with leprosy, was in one of the cities, he came, there was a man with full of leprosy. So this guy was not just in his first stages of leprosy. But this guy heard that Jesus was in town. And what he was going to do was he was going to go against all of the things that he had thought. This man was covered with leprosy. He probably had all the pussy sores on him. He probably was coming in mangled. He probably was limping in. And it says that when he saw Jesus, he was in one of the cities. There came a man full of leprosy. Let's go to the next verse. And when he, the man with leprosy, saw Jesus. There has to be something that kind of stirs within your heart with that. You see, this man was probably used to coming in the city and people were picking up rocks and throwing it out. He had probably been used to saying with that, that bell singing, unclean, unclean. But on this day and on this occasion, he says when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. He fell on his face. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I mean, it may take me a minute to get up, okay? But there's something about laying at the feet of Jesus. There, there's something about that. Now, you may say, well, that's, that's reverence. And yes, that, it probably is. He probably wants to be reverent. But I'll tell you, what I think is there's another thing with that. The other thing is that he's telling everyone around you can grab your rocks today and you can try to stone me out of the city, but I'm not going anywhere. Not today. I am laying at the feet of Jesus. And what does he do when he lays at the feet of Jesus? He lays on his face and he begged him. Another translation may say that he implored him. There's something about when someone understands who God is. The thing that was a game changer in my life is when I understood who I am and who he is. And that I understood my need for Jesus. He laid at Jesus' feet and he begged him. He begged him, and he said, Lord, if you will, if you're willing, meaning you're of no obligation to do this. You know, I wish we sometimes lived in the world of the cable TV preachers, that you just give your life to Christ and, and you never gain weight, um, you never get sick, you drive the best of cars, um, your, your house is as huge as anything. Um, that's, that's not it. You may have a nice car, and you may be physically fit, and you may have a big home, and you may have all these things. However, that is not the results of giving your life to Christ. That's not it. So if, if, if we are caught up in that thing that we give our life to Christ and nothing bad ever happens to us, that we just kind of pull up um, um, to this drive-in window, so to speak, or drive through window and say, yes, I like two offbeat patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. 
now. That's not it. This guy knew who he was, and he was in desperate need of a Savior. He was in desperate need of someone that can do what no one else could. He laid on his face, and he begged him, said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I think that's huge because it didn't say, Lord, if you're willing, um, you can heal me. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I think there's a difference with that. What he meant by being clean is he's, he's saying, if you're willing, I can be clean where I can hug my wife again. If you're willing, Lord, you can make me where I can put my son on my lap again. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean where I can go and I can see my friends. I can go out the covered bridge and I can hit golf balls again with my buddy. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean where I can go back to church and I can sit with everyone else and I can worship freely with the people that I love. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Is there anyone in here? You don't have to raise your hand. Is there anyone in here that would like a relationship restored? whether it's a child, whether it's a friend, whether it's a granddaughter, grandson, whether it's a girl or a guy, that you feel disconnected. You see, the world is playing tricks on us. Have you ever seen that? I, I love sports, obviously, but have you ever seen that, um, that commercial, um, I, that, that beer commercial? For some reason, beer commercials are always or alcohol commercials are always somewhat of the funniest maybe at, at Super Bowl. But did you see that one Super Bowl commercial where um, the husband came in and actually as he walked up the steps, the door was locked and he banged on the, on the door and no one answered. And, and he kicked the door in. And uh, did you see that commercial? He kicked the door in, and then he went up the stairs, and as his wife started to say stuff to him, he started to holler at her, and he, he pushed her out, and he walked up the steps. Did you see that? And, and where he went upstairs, and the kids came out, and the kids were crying, and, 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 and dad's losing his temper, or he says this, or he says that. Did you see that commercial? No, you didn't see that commercial. You know why? Because they want to sell their product. And it's not, this is not, a, this is not a, a sermon on drinking or alcohol. It's about the world wants to paint a picture that sin is gratifying, that sin is beautiful beyond measures. It's not. Sin will lift, leave us in a bad spot. Let's look at 13. It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand. He reached out his hand and touched him. There's something about, there is something about that touch. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Wow, who is this man? If you were looking at this day and time when this is written during this situation, you would see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You would see the Messiah reach down and do something that no one would ever do. They would touch a person with leprosy. 
That's Calvary. That's the picture of Calvary before Calvary. That Jesus does the unexplainable. That he touches the leper. The thing that I've realized is a good editor always remembers when they were a journalist. A good principal always remembers when they were a teacher. A good head coach always remembers when they were a GA. A good Christian, and I use it really, really lightly, a good Christian always remembers when they were lost. Do you remember that? You remember being that leper? And at some point in your life, you laid down prostate before, before the Lord, and you understood your need for Jesus. And while everybody may have laughed or scorned you, there was somebody that touched your life. You see, failure from the world, but yet touched by Jesus. He reached out his hand, and he touched him. I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Blaise Pascal, I don't know if you've... Um, heard of that name before or not, but Blaise Pascal is saying that, that, that we're all created, that we are all created with a God-shaped hole, basically, um, that only God can fill. Now, as I look back on my life, I tried my hardest to stick things down in that small, empty spot in my heart because surely those things would make me happy. I played football from the age of about six all the way up to college. And I remember my last college football game, our coach came in, and here's what he said. He said, all you seniors, I want you to report back to the football complex Monday to turn in your equipment. And I said, what do you mean? I have, I have played this game since I was a little boy all the way up, only to have someone snatch it away. It was like somebody stole my identity. That was a game changer for me. Because now I look back and my identity can't be any, any other, anything other than Christ. I love my wife, Tammy, with every bit of my heart. She is the most godly woman I've ever met. And she looks good too, man. God has really took care of me, okay? <laughs> as much as I love that lady with every bit of my soul, my identity cannot be wrapped up in Tammy. And I, I would love to tell you that she will live to be the age of 110. I can't say that. And if my identity is wrapped up in Tammy, if she ever leaves this earth and goes to heaven before me, what would I do? That would be an, an immeasurable amount of pain. However, my identity can't be wrapped up in my wife. If she died today, I'm serving God tomorrow. My identity cannot be wrapped up in my children because I was telling Jim Howard in the lobby earlier, my oldest daughter, I told David at dinner tonight, is that we just dropped my daughter off at college last Wednesday. And, and for the, about the ten, first 10 miles as we left her, we had ugly cries. I'm talking about terrible cries. Three beautiful daughters but if my identity is in my daughters, I'm going to be hurt. Why? Because I pray to God that those three ladies will grow up and marry godly men. And they are to 
to love their husbands with all of their heart. My identity cannot be wrapped up in anything other than Christ. I tried to do that until I gave my life to Christ my senior year in college. And our chaplain came in, and the chaplain said, gentlemen, one out of every one of you are going to die. You're going to stand in front of God one day, and he's going to do an audit on your life. And it's not going to matter um, your GPA or your 401K or the size of your home. It's not going to how much you bench press or how much money you have in your account. The only thing that's going to matter is did you have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And my life was changed. Jesus was always my savior, but that day he became Lord of my life. And my life has been different since. You see, there's something about what Christ has done. I led a, a Bible study for a handful of police officers. Um, it's probably been about 20 years ago. When I lived in southern Indiana, I did FCA in this area, and I loved this. I loved southern Indiana. It was a fantastic thing for my wife and I and our young family at the time. We loved it. Okay? Um, but I did this Bible study at Chick-fil-A, and these police officers, I'm sharing the gospel message, and it just weren't, they weren't getting it. And I remember looking at one of the officers and said, let me give you a little illustration. Let's say that I'm going down 65, and I'm going, I'm going 100 in a 65. That's a little speed trap up there anyway, right there on exit four anyway, okay? But if I'm going 100, if you pull me over, if you want to do your job and you want to be just, what must you do? He says, I got to give you a ticket. And I said, you're daggone right. If you want to be just and you want to be a good police officer, you have to give me a ticket. But now, if you want to show me grace, what would you do? What would you do if you wanted to show me grace, but yet you still want to do your job and be just? And he looked at me like Brook Trout. He said, I don't know. I said, here's what you have to do. You come to my window. You give me the ticket. He said, Chris. I've got to give you this ticket. You were going 165. I got to do my job. This ticket's going to run you about $125. And I'll reach out and I, I get ready to grab the ticket and he holds it for a second and he reaches back in his back pocket and he pulls out $125. He smacks it down on the, on the ticket. He's just because he did his job. He gave me the ticket. He's gracious because he paid the ticket. As I'm getting ready to close, my time is almost up. I got this clock staring at me. I told you, you run out of time. <laughs> that's, what our, that's what our Lord did. God has to punish sin. He must punish it. If he doesn't, he's not just. So God has to punish our sin. But yet, he was very gracious by doing something that you and I could never do. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, and the blood that ran down his body was a sacrifice for me and you. So he never compromises who he is, but he's gracious beyond measure because he gave his son to pay the price for me. That's it. That's the gospel message that I once was lost, but now I'm found. This leper found it. He had an encounter with Christ, and his life was no longer the same. Could you imagine this guy? Once he was made clean, 
getting up and running to his wife. Could you imagine that scene? Ooh, man, just last week, my daughter, picking up that little girl and bringing her close. Could you imagine what this guy was like the next time he went out to play golf? It wasn't worrying about the score. Could you imagine this guy when he went to church? You think he was worshiping God? Oh, man, yeah, he was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this story, okay? One of the most influential people in my life is my grandfather. My grandfather, um, I remember going over to my grandmother's house. My grandmother fixed this, this breakfast like only grandmas can do, okay? I mean, it's fantastic. And I have my little daughter at the time. We go from the kitchen to the living room, and my grandfather had this recliner that would kind of start up in this position. You just kind of remote control it all the way back and to the back, and you just kind of be propped up. And um, my grandfather, he told me a couple things in life that I really remembered. The first one is marry God's best, and I did that. The second thing he would say is um, a person's Bible that's falling apart, their life isn't. The third thing he would tell you is sin will take you where you don't want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. The last thing he would always say, it never made sense. He would always say, too soon it'll be too late. I never really figured that out. He got a little older, and um, as he got older, he would repeat himself more and more and more and more. I'd be at his house for 30 minutes, man, and he would repeat something like six times. He gets in that recliner. He starts making his way back. He gets into a laid position, and I remember looking at him and saying, Grandpa, are you all right? Grandpa, are you okay? Grandma, call 911. I remember going over and scooping my grandfather up out of that recliner and laying him down on the ground. I remember getting on top of my grandfather and getting close to him and feeling if there was any breath coming out of his mouth. I remember getting, pinching his nose and tilting his head back, breathing into his mouth, pushing on his chest. Um, I remember the ambulance coming in, putting down that stretcher, putting his body on that stretcher, putting him up, taking him out. They're willing that guy out of that, um, that condo. Clicked. Like, too soon it will be too late. That old man knew what he was talking about. I preached that at his funeral. And I look at this story and I say, I say, too soon it will be too late. Too soon it will be too late to mend a relationship with a loved one. And maybe we've been fighting for so long we forgot what we were fighting for. Too soon it will be too late. Too soon it will be too late to be a young, uh, young man or woman in here that's like, I can go home. I don't have to live a life like this. I can go home. Too soon it will be too late to really come back into this fold, to come back into this flock. You got a great pastor. You got great people that love you. Too soon to be too late to get really, really involved. There's a lot of, um, some, gray-haired men, no-haired men. They got a lot of wisdom in here. Too soon to be too late for you to really pour in. If there's ever a time, if there's ever a time 
that young people need older men to speak into their life is right now. It is right now. Too soon it will be too late. Too soon it will be too late to give your life to Christ. You've been putting this off for so long and you're waiting till you understand all the deep theological answers. I'm not gonna ask you any deep theological questions. The only thing that I'm gonna ask you is do you know him? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus? And if you don't, tonight is not your lucky night. Tonight is your ordained night by God. That in just a moment, you're gonna get an opportunity to respond. And I will pray that you will take those steps. We are all that leper. And Jesus has touched us in a way like no one ever will. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. God, I thank you for dying on the cross for a sinner like me. I thank you, Lord, for your divine plan where you sent your son to take my place. He became my substitute. And so now, Father, I live my life for you, for purpose. Father, if there's anyone in here that does not know you today, I pray that tonight is the night of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.